249th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that is looking forward to a brighter, more productive, and hopefully more caring 2021 with all of you beautiful people. So for the meantime, please do wear a mask and be kind to one another heading into the holidays. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everybody. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, there was uh, luck in abundance in the Pro Trader Discord today. I heard some uh, some exciting pulls over there, huh? Some, some fancy pulls. I uh, cracked open a Zendikar Rising Collector Booster box out of a subcase that we ordered all the way back in September that took f- absolutely forever to get to me, and it made quite the took quite the route to finally land in my lap. And the first box I cracked had not two but three box toppers in it, and you know some of those could have been bad, but I actually opened Wasteland, Cavern of Souls, and Marsh Flats. <laughs> So I was running pretty hot for not having even touched the 12 booster packs yet. Yeah, and then, that's, a, that's solid. And then one of our users uh, goes ahead and cracks a god pack of Japanese Double Masters VIP. So some listeners may have clocked this early on uh, in the Double Masters hype cycle. Others may not have. But there was a couple of videos circulating on YouTube that also made the rounds on Twitter and Facebook that seemed to show people cracking Double Masters uh, packs that had VIP packs uh, that retailed for around $100 uh, that had 9 or 10 foil Japanese box toppers. I guess, I I think actually the videos might have been English. I can't recall for sure. I know one of the videos was out of Singapore, but I can't remember if the gentleman in question was opening Japanese product or English. Um... And we all, like somebody posted it at the time and we took note and thought, oh, wow, that would be amazing. Um, Let's hope that they made that that mistake a bunch of times. And then it never really came up again until this morning when this gentleman in our Discord posted this picture and said, ah, crap, I bought this $160 Japanese pack on eBay and for sure, you know, these are fake because look at this, like it's just full of box toppers, that can't be right. And he's like, ah, this is terrible. And we're all like, well, but is it though? Like, wasn't there God Packs? And shouldn't you test those? Like, green dot test, got to get the loop out. So he took a little time to do some testing and came back a lot more excited (laughs) when he realized that they probably are real after all. And the only remaining question is whether this is a collation issue, presumably at the Card and Money facility in Dallas, which is entirely possible given all the QA issues they've had this year, including giving me three box topper packs instead of two. Um, 
Or it could be some fancy, clever marketing by Wizards part to seed these out in the wild here and there and, and let rumors percolate. Bottom line, fact remains that this gentleman paid about 160 bucks to get a foil Japanese force of will, four of the swords, two of which are sword of fire and ice, Darksteel Colossus, a Japanese foil extended art jace, Chrome Mox, Avacyn, Mana Crypt, Cyclonic Rift, and Worm Coil Engine. And the rest of the pack was a Trinisphere, Japanese foil Trinisphere, and a Kemba. And then a John Avon Black Swamp. About a $3,000 booster pack, something like that. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the definition of the rich get richer if you're able to go plunk down 160, you know, 160 $150 <laughs> on one single pack. You're like, I'm going to gamble $160 at home tonight because I can. And then you're like, oh, look at that. I opened three grand worth of cards. I guess I'm good at this game. <laughs> yep. um, I was going to add, you know, as you're talking, I was wondering, I remember the initial time, uh, first time this happened was back with uh, the Theros packs. Which were literal uh, god packs. Exactly. Which seemed pretty intentional. And I was wondering if you thought that it's still intentional. Uh, because it made sense at the time. It was thematic. Uh, but now a lot less so. Um, I'll put it to you this way. I if... had to lean in a direction. I'd say it's not intentional at this point. I, I presume it's a mistake. Because we've seen lots of QA issues this year. But... If I was in charge of the campaign, I would absolutely do this. I, I would be like, listen, we need a we need a guy on the floor to pull manually pull such and such a list of these. I want them to drop at a rate of one in ten thousand packs or something. That might be fifty or hundred packs or something like that. I want these seeded across the globe, randomly in some boxes, going out every which way, and it's gonna drive some hype. Cause it doesn't cost like it's no big deal. Like it's a few extra sheets or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, I agree. Like, I, I would also be in the position that I would be trying to do that. I mean, we've talked about that before. We would also both be running a new version of NPR that oh, works yeah. on people's DCI numbers. So, like, there's a lot, a lot of ways that you and I would be approaching this type of stuff that Wizards isn't. Um, but, yeah, I, I would have to agree with you at this point, given all the issues we've seen with their collation and card quality issues and stuff like that, that it seems likely that somebody just made a mistake somewhere, or maybe somebody at the, you know, the facility did it on purpose. Like it wasn't an official wizard's decision, but some guy working the line was like, <laughs> he's like, oh, it's COVID. Be. Yeah. He's like, I'm, I'm going to be a nice guy. Yeah. The, the funny yeah. thing is that if it's unintentional, then wizard's best marketing of the year was all, you know, QA mistakes. You've got all these, because we've had all these off-center cuts of jeweled lotuses and so forth coming out of Commander Legends collector booster packs. I saw some of that in the Zendikar ones as well. I'm getting extra box toppers. That's certainly going to encourage me to open a couple more boxes instead of instead of flipping them. Because that came out of a case where I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm a collector. I'm a vendor. I'm both at the same time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crack three of these myself, which is the slow route to profit. And I'm going to flip three of these locally where they're still pretty pricey and, you know, do half of, of the, the right thing. But now that the first one out of that subcase had three box toppers, I'm at least going to open one more to see if that's a trend in the, in the subcase. Yeah. I mean, for, you know, Wizards could essentially release 5% extra cards than they 
you know, essentially advertise that they are. But if they give those five percent of those extra five percent away, essentially for free, uh, through these sorts of little promos, you probably get people to, like you said, open up way more stuff than they would have in the hopes of getting lucky. How many? How much money did it cost Wizards to do Priceless Treasures in Zendikar, and how much? You know, how Mileage. many extra boxes of Zendikar did they get to sell because of that? I mean, 10, 10, 15 years later, you're still getting mileage out of that yeah. little thing. It still gets talked about on YouTube clips. It still gets referenced when people are when those boxes are changing hands, etc. So, those kinds of things that generate stories are much more valuable than Hasbro seems to understand. Hasbro is not good with narrative. The thing about Hasbro is much as a company like Nike tends to be. They are largely a logistics company that are a merchandising company more than a logistics company, really, that outsources all of the logistics and all the tricky stuff and, and a lot of the creative development. I mean, they have a creative team internally, but a lot of, you know, for instance, all magic art is done essentially by freelancers, as we talked about last week with Josh. Um, and all of their warehousing is done by third parties. We've seen multiple... Uh, instances of them tripping over themselves with various online uh, e-commerce partners that they've tried to use to do early secret layer sales and the mythic editions and all sorts of that stuff. And the reason that that, and, and the, you know, the production facilities are a problem because all of this stuff is outsourced. So it's not actually under their control. They sign contracts for that stuff, but then they don't really have boots on the floor managing the processes. So if you have, if you choose and pay for, excellent partners then you're going to get excellent results you know outside of the extenuating circumstances of COVID. but wizards has demonstrated vis-a-vis hasbro top-down policy that they care about saving money not about getting the the best for top dollar and this this is also reflected in stories about the their pay scales, right? Because they use East Coast like Rhode Island pay scales, because that's where headquarters is for Wizards. But I mean for Hasbro, but Wizards is on the West Coast, and they're competing for talent in one of the hottest job markets in the world. Um, you know, from Seattle down to LA is is not a zone you want to be competing for top tech and creative talent. <laughs> so, you know, there's a cheapskate mentality that permeates kind of the whole company and a lack of direct knowledge of a lot of the nitty-gritty of the stuff that i think results in some of these mistakes and it's just funny that some of these mistakes turn into marketing opportunities because magic players actually like oddities they like rarity and in the collectible sphere sometimes a mistake on the printing press is worth a whole heck of a lot more than the card would have been otherwise yeah it is curious how parsimonious of an approach they've taken to all of their operations really and it's not just their printing projects and what have you you know you've also got how much they've penny pinched on the organized play program like there was essentially a another pro good tour example this, yeah there's like a basically a pro tour this past weekend but i mean how many people listening you know the the, the people listening to this cast were probably aware of it but like I mean, it's hardly the way it used to be, um, and they, people can't even agree on whether or not it is a pro tour or not, and what have you. It's just you know they took whatever the two million dollars worth of prizes out of it after people had already spent time and effort qualifying under the expectation that those prizes would be there. You know, they've just 
very curious all of the decisions they've made with how they intend to invest in their brand. Well, in early goings, people were talking on Twitter about how there was like six or 7,000 people watching that. I'm still going to call it a pro tour, even though I think it was called the Zendikar Championship or whatever. And yeah. sure, because of COVID, it makes sense that they had to scale some things back this year. It was, I guess it was called the Zendikar Rising Championship, and it included Standard and Historic, uh, which is hilarious because Historic is only a format on Arena. <laughs> um, so you end up having what was, by all accounts, a, a fairly good tournament um, with some very uh, excellent high-level play, especially in the later rounds. But total number of people watching... Uh, on Twitch was not a whole lot more than listen to this cast every week. That cannot be right. <laughs> I all right. From now on, I'm going to say that our cast uh, gets about as many listeners as the Magic Pro Tours do. <laughs> like that, it was it was, it was a, a few thousand off for sure. We get but, we we get about half as many listens as the Magic Pro Tour does. It's it's close. Yeah, it, it was it was more than it was more than half. The the point being that some of the some of the bigger casts and things like Prof on YouTube are you know dwarf dwarfing it, yeah. The the impact of that, and it's tricky for them because the the more they let that slide, and of course, again, some of that is out of their hands because of COVID. It's not. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to be an organized play manager in 2020. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, but again you know the youtube channels being their biggest marketing arms and command zones another good example means that they are beholden in some ways to satisfying those channels like the, we saw you know took note of them jostling with prof at various points during the summer as he was going on his variety of rants including a very malformed one aimed at us um and at one point they took away preview cards from prof and kenobi um I don't think I knew that. In, in an attempt to nudge them in the right direction, as it were. But that's tough for them, because if you don't give a preview card to one of the biggest channels, who knows what that person chooses to do? When when they didn't when they didn't seem to be heading in the right direction in, say, Brian Kibler's eyes, he hopped over to Hearthstone and has made an excellent showing uh, as a longstanding career caster for that brand. And oh, yeah. Has, has done very well casting Hearthstone personally for many years now. So they have squandered a lot of opportunities. Um, and I'm very curious to see how this brand accelerates out the other side. Um, there's also been rumors going around about Hasbro wanting to sell uh, Wizards of the Coast. And the argument that it was posted, I believe it was to Reddit, was basically amounted to pointing at some contract disputes that had been settled in odd ways that seemed to suggest that Wizards was trying to unravel their long-term commitments that might be viewed as a hindrance if you were trying to unload the, the division to another company. So to be specific, we're talking about Hasbro, the publicly traded parent company in the U.S., selling the division the semi-autonomous division known as wizards of the coast which runs most a lot of things but mostly magic and dungeons and dragons are the two biggest brands um to somebody else that would that's interesting so do you think that that is hasbro trying to dump wizards or wizards trying to get out from underneath hasbro i don't think wizards has any say in that 
um, at all. I mean, uh, and I don't... other companies do that, right? Like uh, Blizzard bought Destiny back from, like, uh, was it Microsoft? And other other companies have essentially bought themselves back out from from those partnerships. Wizards is, not in, is definitely not in a position to exit because they have no legal standing it's not it's not in the the video game world you would you might have a studio that was uh contracted by a larger you know you activision early on in the days of blizzard activision could contract blizzard to make some new game line for them and they have say based on the contract terms over how that's going to go on and how it's going to be funded and so forth but it doesn't necessarily mean that they own that company now, there's other situations where they have, in fact, owned companies, and Activision owning Blizzard is one of them. But it's a little different with, with Watsi. Watsi is not independent in any way, shape, or form. It was sold to Hasbro many years ago. It's now just an internal division of, of Hasbro. So there's no way for them to exit cleanly unless Hasbro rolls up Magic the Gathering, the brand, puts a price tag on it, and shops it around. Now, the problem with that is, and I've had this because I've had this thought many times, is... I don't actually think there's anybody out there. I don't think there's a buyer for this brand. I don't think there's anyone big enough that knows the brand well enough or is in a position to leverage it in a way that would be attractive to them. Because the Magic IP is not particularly strong in the sense that it doesn't have, doesn't have cultural, has never gained ground outside of its own sphere so something like pokemon you and i probably don't give a shit about pokemon but we know of it i can name characters from pokemon i I can tell you that there are cartoons and movies and i'm aware of pokemon go even though i've never played it i certainly played pokemon on a game boy as as a kid and so forth pokemon's the biggest brand entertainment brand of all time magic's not even close and so you can't really sell it to an entertainment company. For instance, I don't think Disney would be interested in acquiring Magic. And that's about the only exit that would make any sense to me. This is... I, I, I don't know where to go with here. I, I suppose you could see it perhaps with a... Um, and perhaps a purchaser different than you might expect. Some, you know, a company kind of branching out in a direction that they might not normally... Uh, would be possible, um, you know, maybe they're bought by like an Activision, right? Like a company that you wouldn't necessarily come to mind for this type of product, but perhaps they're interested in diversifying a little bit and trying to use Magic's brand to, to tie into their other offerings. Um, I'm still curious about whether, whether Wizards has a, a way of separating themselves, Um, it's it's tricky with a video game company for many of the same reasons that it's tricky for disney disney would look at this property and say it's not enough of a cultural landmark like wake us up when your netflix show is a hit that was that is being produced by the producers from the avengers like for god's sake that's that's a coup if they can ever get that show launched because we haven't heard anything about it (laughs) in quite some time um and Keep in mind that there was a movie that was talked about before that that never seemed to go anywhere, um, where the options were had been, you know, were out floating around in Hollywood and never got anywhere. So, the and then on the video game side, they would say that their digital side's not strong enough. That Wizards, you know, had a massive head start, ten plus years, 
never managed to pull their shit together. The best version of the game up until a certain point was Duels of the Planeswalkers, which was externally produced. And Arena is solid, but it's taken them years to get there. And there are other brands that are have flown past them in the interim. So especially since Blizzard runs Hearthstone, I don't think they have any interest in Arena. They Hearthstone, you know, we talked about this way back when it uh, was a younger product, that from Activision's perspective, Hearthstone is a fixed magic for digital. It got so, they got they basically discarded what they thought was all the baggage from TCGs and adapted it to digital and did gangbusters business as a result because they they know <laughs> they know digital and Hasbro does not. So it's not like Hasbro would be in a position where they are a up and coming you know rebellious studio you know like the what was the studio that did uh, Rockstar Games when, when Rockstar came on the scene with uh, the first uh, Grand Theft Auto super super hot studio property magic has never been in that position and likely never will be they're always going to be an also ran and a you know an afterthought in this industry so that's tricky now now the and then there's a third um anyway if you have commentary on that go ahead and i'll i'll dive into the third third group of companies that can't buy them i was just gonna say you you could look at a company like activision and it doesn't have to be Activision. That was just the first one that came to mind because I was thinking of the, you know, the Blizzard and Destiny and all that. But mm-hmm. and you're right, Activision and Blizzard probably wouldn't be eager to buy them specifically because of Hearthstone. But if you've got some other major company, you know, or maybe a tier two digital company, because um, it wouldn't be Riot either, because Riot's got whatever Legends of Runeterra or whatever. But a, a tech company could look at it and go, well, we think you have a really strong offering in the magic gathering game right like not just the brand but like the mechanics right we think that's a strong property and you haven't executed on it digitally correctly but we can right like we we are bringing the tech know-how in-house to your product which is floundered and we think we can take arena and turn it into a tier one game um that's competitive uh, and I agree that Magic doesn't have the cultural cachet of something like Pokemon. Most of this stuff doesn't. But it is, I mean, it is the, essentially the one of the longest standing brands in the entertainment, in the in the game entertainment sphere. You have a couple video game series who are longer lasting, like Mario Brothers. Sure. Um, and some that are bigger. But, you know, if you, if, if I mean, it, maybe it's not the most black and white decision but if you've got you know uh, uh let's say a visionary for whether he's right or wrong he's someone with visions uh behind the desk at one of these tech companies he might say you know what i think magic can do a lot better than it is and i think we can you've got the goods we can improve the digital product and between us we can really turn this into something that's going to take over um i could see that potentially now i say this as somebody with no experience in business really or any of this this is just sort of armchair speculation uh but, but i do wonder there, about there, it. there is a sliver of truth in there and i'll get to i'll circle back to that in a second um first let's talk about the third group that definitely doesn't make any sense the other big big toy company is mattel but you know hot wheels barbie etc but first of all hasbro's not going to sell fantastic cornerstone brand that they like to brag about every quarter in investor meetings to their rival and secondly there's zero evidence that anyone in the 
toy sphere where the whole industry is basically stuck in the 1980s is going to be any better at running this brand. And, and there's zero. And the other thing is magic makes money. Like magic is, is not gangbusters uh, year over year, but it's a, it's a steady gainer well, in, that, the, in, in, in terms of revenue and profit, especially if you subtract out the, the costly digital that probably isn't making them any money yet. That right there is why I find it odd that, how, that Hasbro would want to sell Wizards because we know that Magic is a profitable brand for them from their investor calls. You don't give up a $600 million multi-generational brand unless unless you were desperate. Like if Hasbro... Let's, let's say that we were having this conversation the month after Toys R Us closed and it just so happened that they were so uh, reliant on Toys R Us from the Hasbro perspective as a whole, and it's inter- worth pointing out that this was never about magic, because magic never was a big seller at Toys R Us at all. Um, but other like Hasbro toys and Hasbro board games were. And if Hasbro had gotten into trouble and needed to be bailed out, one of the strategies could be to, you know, as a uh, desperation plan, you might unload a major brand if it was sellable. It might not even be your idea. You might just have somebody who had their eyes on the brand come in and be like, "Ah, oh, uh, Blizzard's in trouble." Well, you know, we'd we'd, be, we'd love to take World of Warcraft off your hands. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, big deals get done like that in the video game industry all the time. But I, but none of that really makes sense in the toy world because there's just no evidence that anybody a has any more cash than Hasbro does. Like Hasbro's basically top dog, and Mattel's pretty close behind. But they're not. Again, they have no reason to feed their competitor. Now, going back to your earlier point, though, there is one scenario where I can picture decisions being made (laughs) that would lead to somebody snapping off a brand like this. It would be something like a Microsoft executive is given a large blank check to go out and acquire brands as part of some strategy. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking along the lines of, you know, when they tried to beat Twitch at their own game last year and they offered Ninja some ridiculous amount of money and a bunch of other streamers a ridiculous amount of money to, like, give up on Twitch and go to, what was it called? Mixer or something? It's already dead. Um, And they spent so much money on that. And when they had, when that thing fell apart and they gave up on it, all those people got to keep their money Mm -hmm. and, and go right back to Twitch. Like, that's crazy. So... When you have these large-scale missteps where someone's like, you know what, it's worth it for us to throw half a billion dollars at this because if we if we if we knock it out of the park, it's it's worth it. Like we're going to take that risk, and part of that could be saying we're going to go out and we're going to buy up a bunch of tier two brands and try to make some of them tier one. So maybe. But again, I don't, you know, the, the, the thing that I would be looking for is that Hasbro starts signaling that thing that they are in trouble generally. That, that would be the thing that would most flag for me that Magic might get sold. In current circumstances, given that Magic has been relatively resilient and has been an earner during COVID, if I'm running Hasbro, that's not a brand I'm happy to give up. That's, that's one of the things that's making sure I still get my bonus this year. Yeah, I, 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 I'm having trouble picturing Hasbro selling at Wizards of the Coast. Like, it just doesn't make sense from everything we know publicly. It just doesn't seem to fit with what they would want to do. Um, 
doesn't seem like there'd be too many people chomping at the bit to buy it for a reasonable price. Uh, all, all fair points. So I, I mean, the, the, I don't know. I, I, the only thing that would make sense to me, the, the thing that would make the most sense to me is somehow, I, I don't know what their contract looks like, but Wizards remained s- some level of autonomy or potential autonomy, like an option for a buyout or something like that uh, down the road. Um, they could make an offer to Hasbro to, to buy themselves clear. That that but, to me would be the most likely, just because the people in Wizards are so passionate about it. But even still, that doesn't mean it makes sense. That just means it's the most likely scenario I can think of. I mean, there's two interesting tangents there that are worth exploring. One is the concept that Wizards could buy themselves out. Typically, the only time you're ever going to see that is if the... Say you have a company, and it gets bought by a bigger company, and part of the deal is that the founders of the smaller company are getting stock in the bigger company. Yeah. And if that stock is worth a lot of money when all is said and done, and then the value of the smaller company decreases over time. So they got a valuation of 500 million, but three years later, it tur- it looks like a massive misstep and their brand is shrinking, not growing. Then, And you would see this in fashion a lot where you have brands that are very, very hot for a few years and then they overreach and fade out. Um, and sometimes it's intentional. You build up a really like underground niche, hard to find, hard to get, sells out fast kind of brand. And then all of a sudden, one year, you just spray it all over the planet. You open a shit ton of new stores. You have like sub brands that are available at H&M and blah, blah, blah. And three or four years later, you've just like all the, the, the sex appeal of that brand is drained out. And, all but, the cash. But you're super, yeah, but you're super rich. <laughs> are you just, ta- are you just, so are we just talking about Supreme at this point? <laughs> well, I mean, there's lots of examples of, of brands that have done that. Um, so it, it can happen for sure. But the problem in Wizards is I don't think anybody that's there has enough money of their own. Like, I don't think any of the executives there are holding enough Hasbro stock that they could make a go of trying to buy Magic. Because Magic's probably, like, the price tag on Magic is probably a billion dollars, if not a billion five or two billion. Because its revenue per year is, like, say, 600 million. And if the profit on it is, I don't know, 60 million or 80 million, we don't really know those numbers because they don't break them out in the investor reports. Um, Then you put some net present value on that. assuming a life cycle of the brand of another 10, 15, 20 years minimum, and you would come up with some fairly big number. And I don't think anybody inside Wizards is was ever enriched to the point where they could do anything about that. I also just don't think they would. Like, I don't see someone like a Mark Rosewater. If Magic got into trouble and it was, you know, tanking, he'd just retire. Like, or, yeah. or, or go work somewhere else, right? Like, he's put in his time, and I don't think anybody is anybody there is desperate enough to keep the whole thing running. Now, you could have some kind of weird scenario if if Magic went into a steady decline that lasted a long time and really faded into obscurity, like Hasbro reorganized, Wizards sold D&D to somebody, Magic wasn't selling well, it, it was down 70% sales in four years or something, or they flipped it to a video game company somehow and that company decided that physical was the way of the dinosaur and they were just going to focus on digital and stop producing cards then you could end up in some kind of weird like kickstartery position where the fans of magic the old guard of magic try to raise a bunch of money to buy it or to replace it while tiptoeing around the ip 
these are all like magical Christmas land scenarios as far as I'm concerned. And frankly, I think this is more of a interesting, you know, intellectual debate than it is anything rooted in fact, because I haven't seen a single fact yet that suggests that this is even happening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, if people like Rosewater and Forsyth are salary men, they're not going to be able to buy out uh, Wizards. And even Richard Garfield, who I would presume to have gotten away with the most money out of all these guys, you know, especially with those other ventures. I mean, has Wizards of the Coast has got to be a probably what hundreds of millions, possibly multi-billion dollar deal to sell. So, like, none of those guys are doing it themselves. You'd I mean, D&D have, have is a big, big deal now. Yeah, so. you'd have to have some very deep pockets to try and buy that out as, yep. like, oh, I want to save this type of thing. D&D mm, D- really D- has been doubling year over year the last few years. So it is no joke. And it's celebrity-tied now. So, you know, you got all these celebs doing Twitch streams of D&D um, yeah. on the regular. So there's a lot of brand equity there. Anyway, uh, interesting stuff, but we should probably get into the the meat and potatoes here. Yeah, it was a good segment four that we did before our intro. <laughs> so let's get into the MTGO metagame week in review. Yeah, we've got an interesting top deck here, right? Mono green Planeswalkers? We've seen this a bunch of times in Pioneer. Last few weeks, we had, it hasn't popped up in the top eight that we've been looking at, but the deck has never really gone away. All right, then I have a problem with you calling this mono green planeswalkers. It's got was this called mono green planeswalkers before? Yeah, it's got a, it's got eleven planeswalkers in it. Yeah, because right. typically if you say mono green, you're thinking stompy, but this is definitely not a stompy deck. This is you know four Vivian, three Karn the Great Creator, and what's the uh, the other one? Uh, this is Nissa? just I mean, probably a... Nissa shakes the world. I mean, it's a ramp deck that's kind of just ramping the Planeswalkers. Yeah. Burning Tree Emissaries, Elder Gargaroth, Elvish Mystics, Llanowar Elves. Having eight elves in the format is basically what makes this deck possible. Two Llanowar Visionary, four Voracious Hydra, four Oath of Nyssa, four Wolf Willow Haven, four Nykthos Shrine to Nyx. It's been around. Um, likewise, five Color Niv-Mizzet. See this over and over again in both Pioneer and Modern. I sold a couple of foil Niv-Mizzets this week. One promo, one pack foil, both for solid profit. So uh, people are, are buying the card to play the deck. I don't uh, think I ever ended up buying any of those, and I really <clears throat> should have. I wonder if there's still any floating around. The only Probably really not. spicy list here is resurging uh, interest in Lotus Field Combo, which showed up in the... Uh, in modern this week at a Jeskai brew that people were discussing in the Discord today. Um, and here we have it in fourth in the Pioneer Challenge from December 6th. Uh, I think the innovations here that I don't recall seeing in the last list I looked at are for Baral, Chief of Compliance, for Dig Through Time, for Balagad Recovery out of ZNR. And the rest of this we had seen. There's like Arboreal Grazer, Fay of Wishes, Vizier of Tumbling Sands, Hidden Strings, etc. To tap and untap your your Lotus Field. Um, that was part of the earlier Pioneer lists uh, last winter. But uh, yeah, this is uh, a refinement to a list that has been dangerous the whole time. And that folks were... At one point people were talking about whether Lotus Field was going to get banned. I mean, that was a discussion point when we were talking about specking on it. 
Yeah, I mean, I still think Lotus Field is probably... I, I don't know if it's underplayed. I mean, maybe it's correctly played in the format right now, but I do think that it has a very good possibility of becoming a problem down the road um, in a way that a lot of other cards don't. Uh, so even if it's Day in the Sun is not yet, I would not be surprised to see that card banned in Pioneer at some point. Sure. Monogreen Planeswalkers again in fifth. And then in sixth, four-color Omnath, another list that is is bridging both uh, Pioneer and Modern. And this one's got a whole pile of specs, so I just hope it keeps doing well. It's got three uh, Thraferis, two Ugin, four Escape to the Wilds, and three Genesis Ultimatum. All sorts of big dumb spells you wouldn't think would be uh, playable in Pioneer and Modern. But when you got Growth Spiral, Lotus Cobra, and a bunch of and twenty nine lands, you can and four Uro, <laughs> you can get some extra lands on the battlefield and, and ramp into your your big action. Do whatever you want. Yeah, I, the uh, that's fun too. Um, a lot of a lot of juice in that. The ultimatum I think is fascinating, and I that I, we've seen that more in Pioneer than I ever would have expected at the outset. You know, that wasn't a card that I was expecting to have a big impact. No, in Pioneer. The, the seven but, mana seven pips sorcery. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it's you know, cruel ultimatum was a huge card in standard for a while, and I guess it's not unbelievable that this card is it's just not something i think we or probably anyone really pegged and honestly you have to hinge that on growth spiral omnath and uro just being super busted because that's that's the ramp package that poured it over from standard into pioneer and made all this possible yeah um boros burn and mono red uh, rounding out that top eight fairly standard list there on over to the modern challenge uh from December 7th, we have Dredge in first, Amulet Titan in second with four tin, Turn Timber Symbiosis, Four Color Omnath also in this top eight, Black Red Death Shadow with uh, Scourge of the Skyclaves in fourth, and then the Black Red Midrange deck making yet another appearance. This is one of the ones where we flagged it either last week or the week before, talking about how you know this would be one to watch if it was showing up consistently. And indeed here it is yet again in the top eight for magmatic channeler. If, if this deck is still around come paper $4 foil extended art, magmatic channelers does not make sense Four season pyromancer at a modern horizons, a card that can certainly spike uh, if it doesn't catch a reprint three Croxa, three lightning skelemental which is a foil i flagged uh, a while back and reminded people about in the discord today because it's not a huge priority pickup but if skelemental keeps getting played in this one trick pony deck in modern and that goes on for a while it could be years before they reprint foils lightning skelemental and they're <laughs> the, the drop rate on those foils is really low you only get one foil rare or mythic per box generally in a modern horizons box I, yeah, those aren't going anywhere anytime soon, but I agree that on the longer time frame, um, they could be okay for sure. And I, I, this would have to be, you know, something of a speculation play because because they're not, it's probably not going to get reprinted, but the man is going to trickle, but you know, they could end up, what are they now? Five or six bucks? Yeah, but the, probably. Yes, it, they could end up like twenty bucks. It's just going to take three years, I think. Three years. I, of, I think that's. I think that's play. accurate. And the thing is, they've been draining out slowly but surely. There's only like nineteen listings or something on near mint uh, foils, I mean, and nobody's got a super deep pocket of them because the market's taken a couple swipes along the way, and people have stashed some copies aside in case they wanted to play them. 
Could be one of those cards that sneaks up on you and just shows up. Uh, yeah, I, admittedly fewer copies than I think I or most people would expect. Mm-hmm. Eldrazi Tron in sixth, four Karn the Great Creator there being probably most notable. And then you'll like the seventh place list, Blue Black Mill in seventh and eighth in the Modern Challenge. It's going to be hard to say Mill's not real when it's in like every top eight we look at, and especially when it starts showing up twice. This The seventh place list is interesting because we made a big show of talking about how Maddening Cacophony had replaced Glimpse the Unthinkable. This pilot decided to run them side by side. I wouldn't, yeah, and I, I see, I don't know about enough about Moto. I wonder if that has something to do with card availability. Like maybe the alternatives were really pricey and he just had glimpses, so he ran them. Well, we, we also tend to give people on Moto a lot of credit for playing the right build. <laughs> Which is not always true, sure. As someone who's played a lot of Magic and built a lot of decks, very, very true that I often did not have the best build. Almost uh, intentionally so at times, I think. Sure. Uh, And then eighth place list, also blue-black, but this time no Glimpse the Unthinkable, for Blood Chief's Thirst instead in in that slot. Um, And the rest of it pretty similar to to the first one uh, i guess the eighth place list was also running three soul guide lantern in the main so looking to deal with the graveyard decks okay yeah i'm popping up around the double mill is interesting um and i wonder if that's good enough weekend and week out or if modern players just aren't packing enough sideboard hate in general to deal with it there's three things that have gotten them up another half step in the ranking order eight crabs instead of four maddening cacophony doesn't target so ley line uh white ley line doesn't protect you and lurus of the dream den in the sideboard lets them bring those crabs back mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. control control deck gets rid of like supreme verdicts two crabs you can pay three put lurus in your hand put lurus into play bring a crab back crack a fetch and away you go yeah, those crabs are spicy. All right, They're so crabby. on over to the top Magic Online movers. And despite us not really caring much about this Zendikar Rising Championship, it was run by uh, one by Blue White Control, uh, the historic deck piloted by Brad Barclay. Autumn Burchett putting in another uh, impressive performance. People were complimenting her, her play all weekend. She was playing their play, uh, their play. Uh, and they were playing Goblins, uh, which was a list that I think uh, a lot of players did not see coming. And I'm going to blame the conspicuous Snoop on Autumn because there were four in their list and it went from 0.48 tickets to 0.89 for 85% gains. Uh, second place in the historic portion of the Zendikar Championship will tend to do something like that. Charming Prince out of Eldraine, uh, 1.34 ticks to 2.2 ticks, uh, 64% gains. It's a four of in various Yurion standard decks. There's Esper, there's Abzan, there's a black-white version. Uh, a lot of Charming Princes running around. And we we're also debating the foil of standard arts on that card for paper in the Discord today about um, whether it was worth taking another swipe at them. I think it probably is. Ayara, first of Lockthwain out of Eldraine, 0.41 ticks to 0.21. Not the kind of thing that ever gets us out of the bed in paper, but uh, things are a little different where you can be more efficient on Magic Online speculation. 
that's driven by mono black mid-range being a, a, a bit of a force in standard right now. Solemn Simulacrum out of M21 going from 0.15 to 0.47 tickets, 47% gains. Uh, it's really only played in EDH, so it could be that there was a change in the drop rate of this based on amount of drafting going on, or it could be that it was in treasure chest but isn't anymore. I'd have to double check on that. Uh, or it could just be that EDH play has gobbled them up because they're played all over the place. Uh, and then the final card flagging here is Valakut Awakening at the Zendikar Rising. This is that kind of mock Wheel of Fortune effect. 0. 0.34 to 0. 0.48 tickets, 41%. That's the Jeskai Lotus Bloom Big Teferi deck in Modern, where you can... Teferi's plus one lets you untap two lands at the end of your turn, one of which can be a Lotus Field. That's uh, <laughs> pretty potent. I watched about two hours of that while I was doing my mainline work today. Um, deck was was like medium <laughs> in the games I watched, but it did have some nice lines and tails end uh, a card I called in foil a few months back to go like four to ten or something like that was doing a lot of work. Um, counters legendary stuff, so Uros and Omnaths and whatever. Although I guess countering an Uro is never your best option since it just puts it in the graveyard. Uh, but it also, you can counter people's activated and triggered abilities, and there's lots of cute ways in Modern to deal with <laughs> to make that problematic for your opponent. Yeah, yeah, that seems like it's a uh, could be a very broad catch-all. Like, it's just conveniently useful against a ton of people. All right, so moving on over to paper cards to watch this week. Uh, it's about time to be at least taking a look at the Zendikar Rising Expeditions and figuring out whether the entry is going to get any better and which, which ones are worth targeting. A lot of the logic that's been bandied about in our Discord is rooted in whether the enemy fetch lands that we know are being presented to us again in Modern Horizons 2, in the rare slot, no less, will also have a premium version, and if so, what form that might take. My opinion is that if we're not getting VIPs for Modern Horizons 2, we're getting something very similar. I don't think they'll go with collector booster boxes, but they could. Either way, within a year, you're getting the Ultimate Secret Layer enemy fetches, which were fresh art, non-foil. Then you have both foil and non-foil expeditions at a much higher drop rate than we saw them in Battle for Zendikar. And then, only nine months later, in and around Modern Horizons 2, I suspect you are getting non-foils, pack foils, maybe non-foil borderless, and foil borderless. So I'm not super hyped <laughs> about the enemy fetches. And if I'm looking at number of listings currently on TCG Player, one expedition stands out above all others. You got something like your Flooded Strand, you got 124 uh, listings, Horizon Canopy, 177, you got something like uh, Cavern of Souls, even that's got over 100, 106 listings, but Morphic Pool is at 45 listings already. And Foil Morphic Pools can be had in Europe for about $28 or so. On TCG, you're talking about closer to, let's see what the lowest in your mint copy is looking like right now. I think it's closer to 32, yeah, 32, 33, 34. Um, 
I could see this easily hitting 50 within the year. I don't expect to see this card again within the year. Um, given that they gave us the new five uh, Battle Bond lands in Commander Legends, there are cer- certainly possibility that those five will see additional inventory when a wave 1.5 or whatever of that product shows up. But I'm not, I'm not worried about picking these up 26, 27, 28 in Europe holding for 50. Morphic Pool sees a ton of EDH play. The art on this particular version is actually quite fantastic. Um, and yeah, I, I think this is the most obvious expedition to be targeting at this moment in time. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you're talking about a buy-in in the range of 28, that's very tempting when we're looking at foil showcase lands and Morphic Pool has been um, quite strong in EDH in general. Um, these these are relatively popular showcase or you know the and masterpiece type cards. They're I don't think they're the most wild. They're probably not as showy as you might like, but I, I still think they're viable. Um, I mean, just going by the numbers alone, Morphic Pool is is tempting here in terms of, of volume of play. Um, and I know we've talked about the foil battle bond lands before, like way back, because I've got a couple of them, just the pack foils, uh, and those are are in decent shape. Just I, yeah, I, it seems like you've got a good angle on this one, um, and probably not going to run into. I mean, even if, even if you run into any reprints, the odds of them coming through as a premium version are relatively low you can, so you can I, see all of them show up in the list or something they're also yeah. they're also secret layer is is i i think the primary risk in a lot of ways for more or less everything right now i don't know if you caught this this week but secret layer ultimate secret layer part two was announced for q1 and it's going mm-hmm. to be with the remaining flip. It's going to be the flip lands, um, ten of them, including the four that are in Kyle time. So we got the two hundred and fifty dollar ultimate secret layer this summer with the five enemy fetches. That made sense. I wasn't a huge fan of the price point because it was <laughs> it was expensive for vendors it was expensive at retail even the discounted deal we did was still relatively expensive there was a flipping opportunity but it was a relatively short window of opportunity um whereas this is to my mind kind of the opposite of a premium product built around enemy fetches in terms of how much sense it makes these are brand new lands they just came out in Zendikar Rising. They're still essentially in market, and Kaldheims aren't even out yet. And they gave us showcase versions in Zendikar Rising, which are very lovely, and are flip foils, and presumably we're getting the other ones in Kaldheim along to run alongside them. And the ultimate version is just new, different art, but nothing else special. So mm. what up with that? Now, we don't know what the price point on it is going to be, but if I was a betting man, I would say it's either 100 or 150 And I think it's just too much for lands whose foils, like the good ones, are around 10 bucks. So if they give us all 10 but they're on foil and they try to charge 99 for it, it's a little tricky. Um, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure whether the market needs or wants these right now. They And 
it leaves me wondering whether Wizards thought they were going to be a much bigger deal than they currently are. <laughs> uh, I mean, that certainly seems viable. They've missed on that type of stuff before. Yeah. So the the other rumor that's running around related to Kyle Time, are you aware that Snow is basically confirmed? Yes. Right. Yep. So there's product packaging of there's basically for every standard set you get two commander decks now and they are light on sexy reprints. They're saving that for the annual five deck thing in the spring. Um so as with Zendikar Rising we're getting like a two deck release that will have I think it's three new cards or something per deck, and they're going to be the commander and the two lieutenants. Um, and one of the commanders mentions snow in the rules text, and people could glean that from the product packaging images. So that means confirmed Kaldheim is about snow, which is what we've been saying since, whatever, April or May. Like, um, it couldn't possibly not be, so... But well, I mean, people were... De- up until a week ago in our Discord, people were still debating... And including ex Wizards employees debating whether or not it was it was possible, um, and but that's settled. It is. So my one question I have is whether the four pathways, whether they'll be real sneaky and mess with people's OCD by making the four remaining pathways flip snow, like be um, snow typed. So there's there's exact same templating as Zendikar Rising, but there's Snowlands, or at least one inside of them is Snowlands. Ah, uh, that it, would be. It feels so awkward, but maybe. I I I know. I really have trouble. So you're saying you have something like, uh, Branch Loft Pathway, which has the green white. Yeah. What are we, what do you call them? Fliplands, right? Sure. Then you're thinking they do the enemy flip lands, but they do them in snow. We we got six of them in Zendikar. We're getting four in Kaldheim. Yeah, I don't think they. Oh man, that's a really weird decision to make, right? Like that is a really weird decision to make. I have trouble imagining them doing that. Let me just double check that. I said six and four, right? Am I right about that? Or is it five and five? Uh, it is... One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, River Glide. You have green, white, white, black, blue, black. Blue, red. Red, green, red, white, blue, red. So that yeah, there's a mix there. So what I'm suggesting here is that Maybe the other four are snow. It just seems so weird that they would split a cycle like that. I can't think of anything they've ever, any time no. they've ever split. A it's cycle it's for like sure that. weird, and I think that's the best and easy and simplest, you know, Occam's razor yeah, argument I'm, as to why he, they won't do it. Here, here's what I'm th- I'm going with. They print the other four, normally not snow, but there's an uncommon snowland cycle. Like well, come they, into play, tap to dual lands that are snow or something along that line. That we've already we already have that, so they just be reprinting them. Uh, which ones are those? From Cold Snap, right? Oh, like Arctic something. P- people were buying these uh, when we Arctic, first. There's Arctic 
flats is it yeah, yeah. snow land from okay so maybe they reprint them which is which was possible honestly but they could also you know print something similar that's you know roughly that space I'm still I'm still counting how many there are actually are there's one two three four five six yeah there's six um, so <laughs> it is six and four I had it right so the other rumor that's going around is that there there was a collector booster art that showed up on an Australian retailer website that was probably something that was shared with distributors that maybe had a like uh, a marketing street date that was not ob- strictly observed. And it shows what looks like something like a Thor's hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We know this is Norse-based, so leaning into the Norse gods makes perfect sense here. We know gods have been a big deal with magic players in the past. You know, people liked the gods on Theros; they were fine on Amonkhet. Um, it's a thing. So, pretty unlikely they're going to skip them. But we also know we're getting a, a variant on uh, double-faced cards in this set and that that all that theme also continues through to Strixhaven um, that it's basically like defines this whole standard season. So one of the rumors I heard was that the flip cards are the, one of the mythic cycles is going to be flip gods where one half is like something like Thor's hammer and the other side is Thor, the God. Hmm. So it'd be an artifact creature DFC instead of a spell land dfc yeah Mm. i I mean i guess there's i i guess they could do it i don't have a strong opinion one way or the other i suppose like sure it one of the other things that seems to support that this is true is that another another one of the leaks from earlier in in the late summer early fall was miniatures there are magic D &D miniatures Mm mm-hmm that are where product images were circulating for pre-order on miniature sites. And some of them seem to show the characters, planeswalkers, and gods for Cal time. And if you look at, for instance, the Odin-like character, he's holding a huge-ass staff. And one of the other characters is also wielding a big-looking weapon. So if you're going to put a big focus on the gear, then it leans into the whole artifact god flip sequence. Yeah, they could. I, I guess I, I I don't see how it's a big deal to us at the moment, other than maybe it prioritizes equipment cards a little bit. But, I mean, equipment wasn't really a, a thing in Norse mythology in general, right? Like the weapons weren't a major part of the character's identities you know you had thor with his hammer um, yeah Mjolnir, and you maybe had like the you know whoever it was with the bow but like i don't remember that being a thing in norse norse mythology not that i'm an expert in it by any (laughs) stretch of the imagination but bottom line all of that seems pretty likely to me the the other thing is that the image on the collector booster was not using regular looking magic art this was the part that I thought was kind of interesting. The art I flagged and posted in the Discord pretty much right away as looking like more of the uh, metal uh, concert poster art, similar to what was just unveiled for the Secret Lair um, Kill Spells pack. 
mm-hmm. uh, Assassin's Trophy and the like. So if you're going to go ahead and, and commission a bunch of you know death metal art, might as well go run the distance on it and lean into the whole Scandinavian you know black metal scene <laughs> because and it, and it looks like they did because the 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 art on the collector booster for Cal time is pretty clearly of that ilk um you know it's it's an illustration uh that would live comfortably on such a concert poster is definitely not standard magic art that leads me to believe that the if the flip mythic gods exist and the collector booster art seems to show Mjolnir. Probably they all have showcase versions, and probably that's using the death metal cartoon art. Yeah, I so that I think is a very likely uh, interpretation here that there this the the promo art, you know, this, the whatever the collector booster art or whatever is going to be that death metal style and it fits with the theme too right like if you're talking about norse mythology and the icelandic countries with their death metal that they love for some particular reason uh you know chris bakula can speak to that um it all seems to all the pieces are in line there so and and to be clear if it's showcase it's not exclusive to the collector boosters it'll just have a higher drop rate there (laughs) yeah yeah but Um, it'd be it'd be nifty i mean those the the current that that secret layer that they released is probably close to the best one they've done because it's essentially the furthest deviation from magic art as we know it, uh, and that's what you want out of your secret layer essentially, right? Yeah. Like you want it yeah, to yeah, be yeah. something different and cool. Agreed. So uh, after that standard deviation away from the norm, uh, what's your first pick of the week? hard to watch as uh, it were. well i was poking around seeing what i could find and i thought that uh inspiring statuary out of kaladesh was looking pretty tasty um this is the artifact that gives all your other artifacts improvised so kind of a weird card um it's in about four thousand decks so it's not super popular but it's got uh you know a decent play pattern and i think it, it'll probably maintain that type of demand for a while because it, it is a nifty card uh there are only 21 vendors left for the foils on tcg player at this point and it's um nobody really has more than one or two copies so there's not a lot floating around anymore uh i just see it as a type of card that's going to be kind of a slow burn for a while going here um so you know you've got a longer time frame on this probably a year maybe even a little bit longer but you can grab them at four the foils at four bucks right now i don't know when we would see these again in the near future and then you get to flip them for probably nine or ten bucks down the road when supply finally drains another 10 copies i think that analysis is on point one of the things i like about this is it's unlikely to get blown out by a reprint because i don't see it showing up in something like the list i don't think it's a priority to put it in any kind of premium product it's definitely not something they're going to put in modern horizons 2 improvise is very specific so you really want to be on an artifact plane for that to knock that out so that could be something like karn's adventures defeating phyrexia in spring of 2022 or something and that could be a long way off and unclear to me that they want to revisit improvise since it didn't really make a big splash the first time um i'm not sure that that's a keyword that would get love again so yeah i mean this this might be a slow steady burn but it's also probably one of the safer cards just because it's not 
high enough tier that it's going to get much love for a reprint. Yeah, it's, it's essentially an, an older school style uh, spec where it's, you know, it's expected to be a longer burn. Um, you know, you're not going to flip it in three months, but you can just kind of see the writing on the wall. Fair enough. All right, so my next pick is a curious one. If people, it might be interesting for people that haven't really been tracking the product formulations and, you know, which card is in which product mix for Zendikar Rising. Uh, sorry, for Commander Legends. But AC Tyrant of Gyre Strait is, in theory, a Commander Legends card and is putting up pretty good stats. Uh, the 20% of all the decks that could be running it since it was released on EDH Rec are running it. That is a very high penetration rate. And it's not hard to see why. It's a 5-5 five, five for 6 that lets you play an additional land on each of your turns, and whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. Card has been referred to as lazy. It's got a lot of repetitive, overlapping... <laughs> um, you know, templating from other broken cards in this this color mix. Uh, but here's the thing. This card is not actually in Commander Legends. It's only in the Commander Legends Commander decks. And oh. co- versus something like uh, the forecasting cost to Fairy from M21 that has like a couple of dozen versions, there is one version of this card. A pack foil that shows up in the Commander deck. There's no non-foil version. There's no borderless version. There's no extended art. It's just this. And they are currently going for 13 bucks as a result. And there are 16 listings on TCG Player. Because you know what? No one's cracking these decks. Yeah. Uh, I got to say, I think this is probably spot on because I don't think that I knew that that was the case with how available this was. And this card is definitely going to be very popular. It's just a stupid blue-green card. And I don't think it's going to be a terribly popular commander, even though it's legendary. No. But, and it, you know, it's tons a of blue-green decks. Yeah, it's a 99 card, but tons of blue-green decks will play this because it's just, it's just dumb. It's just a dumb card that's not interesting or fun, but who cares? Commander players are morons and will play it anyway. So it's going to be Commander good. players are morons. Way to turn off good. 90% of our listeners. The, uh, well, the, the people who are not interested in, who are interested in the wrong parts of Commander are going to play this card. And that's a lot of people. So here's the thing. You can snap these off in Europe for six bucks. And CK has that covered at six bucks cash, 780 credit. So this is just yeah. a straight arbitrage play from Europe right now. But I don't imagine that that inventory is going to be very deep or will last very long because I really don't see Europe cracking a lot more of these these Commander decks. First and foremost, because they don't don't have much product for this, uh, for Commander Legends, period. And I would guess that most of what you're going to find on uh, card market right now, TCG Player of Europe, is going to be the five or ten vendors that do mass cracking of pretty much everything that might have, you know, five, ten, fifteen copies available. Once those are gone, it's gone. Yeah. Hmm. It, I, I mean, that seems great. Like, I like this, probably like this even just at the English, you know, the TCG player low price, frankly. I mean, like, the, you know, these two people, two sites have a pile of, at 13 bucks, but like, you just kind of clean out TCG player and then where the hell else are people going to get these things from? Also worth keeping an eye on that deck being cheap or discounted somewhere in the next couple mm-hmm. of months. Because if you can get the the deck for pretty close to the price of that card, then the rest of it's free. 
And there's not a lot in those yeah. decks, like intentionally, but still. Yeah. Those cards are those cards are essentially free, so. Yeah. Makes good kindling for your winter fires. There you go. How about your next um, card to watch? Yeah, I like that. Uh so this is one that you have talked about before, but it was a different version of this card. Um I was, I stumbled upon Terror of the Peaks while rooting around in some of the M21 stuff. The M21 promo for the extended art foils of this mythic are currently, uh, you can pick them up for about 40 bucks on TCG Player. Um, there are a grand total of 11 vendors for the extended art foils, and I think everyone has one copy they don't have more than one copy many more than one copy I actually have it in front of me i can just look uh one guy has four so they're like 14 copies of this card on tcg player total right now um terror of the peaks is the one it's the five mana five four dragon spells that target it cost an additional three life to cast and whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control he deals damage equal to that creature's power to any target so basically when you put creatures into play your creatures one-sided fight um anything else on the table so it's very potent effect especially if you get to flip a couple cards into play with them it just can really clean up some problematic permanence um He's in about three and a half thousand EDH rec decks, so not a huge amount, but it is it is Magic Twenty One. So you know it was earlier this summer. Um, haven't seen you know hasn't hasn't had time to uh, marinate yet. Um, but there's so few copies, and the real appeal, appealing thing here is that these are forty bucks on TCG Low right now. At least the, the cheapest copy, next copy up is forty three. Uh, but Card Kingdom's offering $39 in credit for this card. So you can buy this right now on TCG Player, and then you would lose a dollar if you sent it to Card Kingdom for store credit. So you're that's so close to being right behind you that you can probably grab one to four of these and be pretty safe, all things considered. So you can get them at 40. You know, your goal here is probably to out them at between 60 and 70, I would assume. And maybe you get lucky and you get to go above that. But, you know, I, I wouldn't hold my breath. I mean, TCG Low could end up showing the low on these at 80 or $85, but I don't know how often you'd manage to sell those. This is a card where it's not quite of a high enough tier that it's going to be an easy move if it pushes 70 to 120 because it's not quite the great hinge, but it it probably has can cough up ten or fifteen in profit after fees just because there will be enough price insensitive buyers left to chomp up what is already looking like pretty limited inventory. Yeah, I mean this card is actually quite good. Uh, honestly, its oh, yeah. biggest strike against it is that it's red. Like that's the part that makes this worse uh if it weren't red it would be pretty nuts like if this is a green card this would be extremely popular and here's the thing you can't really get this overseas for any cheaper europe's already got them priced pretty close to 40 bucks us and japan is sold out on hiroyuya uh, at 43 or so on the english and they've got the japanese ones priced at 45 that's probably a buy but there's only like one copy sitting there anyway um there's no restock coming on any of this there's no standard. No one's opening any Core 21. And the Core sets, by nature, get opened a lot less because, A, they get put out in the middle of the summer, which is intentional from Wizard's side. But also, they tend to only be in standard for a year. 
whereas mm-hmm. the fall set's there for two years. So all of which means let less of these exist than would otherwise be the case. And that's even though in the Core 21 product, it had the highest foil extended art drop rates that we've seen. Basically, basically the opposite of Commander Legends. But the Mythics are still very hard to find. Like he mm-hmm. takes many boxes <laughs> to find one of these. Yeah, there. Yeah, it's. Uh, I I agree, and I think that it might not be the most popular card out there, but clearly the demand is there, and Card Kingdom's got faith. You know, they're they're selling them enough that they're willing to pay for it. You know, so as far as I'm concerned, that's good enough. Yep. Uh, and I will just to toss out credit to. Uh, Nihilus, I think, uh, because I was like, as in my review viewing of M twenty one, I was like, oh, you know, heroic intervention is probably worth talking about. And then I remembered he talked about it. It was our guest pick like five weeks ago, and I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. So <laughs> I found that card again, and I still think it's good. Yep. I mean, that's gonna get there too. Um, yeah. All right, so I'm upgrading maddening cacophony foil extended arts from the collector corner pick a few weeks back where it was like ah this is cute and blue black mill and maybe you'll want these for your deck and they're real cheap so go ahead and grab them but ah, it might not be a spec to no this is probably a spec <laughs> like not only is this going to see much more mill play than your average mill card in commander on the basis that it, it targets all opponents but this blue black deck in modern is showing up often enough that it looks real more real than mill has ever looked there and whether or not it displaces glimpse the unthinkable no matter which version of the list you look at this is always a four of so whereas it used to be like two or three years ago glimpse the unthinkable was the un- like you couldn't run the deck without running four copies of that card and so glimpse got very expensive at one point i think it topped 40 bucks if i'm not mistaken um, uh yeah it was it was up there the foil extended art matting cacophonies under four bucks just seem like automatic to go to 15 maybe it's going to take a year maybe it's going to take six months maybe it's going to take two years couldn't tell you for sure but i can tell you that it even has a little bit of edh support it's in almost a thousand decks in edh rec already four percent of all blue back blue decks are running it um between that and blue black mill and modern i think that's gonna be enough i mean it probably has a, a play pattern that's not too much, too far off Emery, Lurker of the Lock. And I was buying copies of that foil extended art at $40 plus at one point. Uh, yeah, I, I I, mean, for $350, it feels pretty good. I mean, that's not a lot of money to pay for uh, extended art foils. I, I have trouble imagining people in EDH getting too excited to play this, but... Well, you need a, you maybe. need a good. It's going to be when a good mill commander comes out, right? Yeah, yeah. Which hasn't really happened yet. Um, actually, now that we said that out loud, that's surprising that we haven't had a really good one yet. So maybe, maybe that shows up, and that's what does it. So but I I think at three fifty for extended art foils, like it does it doesn't matter. Like that's totally fine, and you don't need a huge volume of people to be after this card for that to work out well for you. So yeah, call it like three to four into 12 and the nice thing about this one is if it's an edh card three to 12 is less exciting after fees considering shipping and time but if you get to sell a play set of them and you're going 12 into say 40 that's way better yeah yeah that's uh that's real good right there that's the money all right so user pick this week is from one of our european members uh ingeborn ingeborn 
Ingebjorn. <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't tell he was European. <laughs> I really should have asked first. <laughs> Ingebjorn. It's probably his, it's not his real name, so <laughs> can't be that offended. Pres- presumably. Presumably. Uh, yeah, so he's calling out an arbitrage uh, play, which is always nice, on living death judge foils. Throw, pick, pick them up in the EU around $30 or so. Uh, could be a little less, a little more. And then aim to sell them in the $45 to $55 range in the US. It's backed by $39 CK credit, so very little risk. And Living Death is played in 18,000 reported decks on EDH Rec. Mm-hmm. Living Death is uh, some good stuff. Uh, if you've ever had that cast against you, it does not destroy creatures. You place them in the graveyard. So it gets around all sorts of uh, funky stuff that people are going to be like, oh, I got him. And it's like, nope, no, you didn't. Uh, so that works quite well. And the price history on this, I was looking before the cast, it, it peaked somewhere around like probably 60 to $65 like seven years ago and dipped all the way down towards 30 about two years ago but now it's back up towards 50 bucks the card's been around for a very long time you're not going to suddenly have a huge rush of people trying to buy this but i don't think that matters you know there's so few copies and the arbitrage is good on its own uh i mean really the arbitrage is great as it is and then this card does seem like it's slowly trending back up and i don't see it dropping again this is a this is a card that's seen plenty of printings it was originally in tempest uh, it's seen reprintings in From the Vault Annihilation, and then that art was reused in the Mystery Boosters and in Masters 25. It showed up in Commander, and then later in uh, Commander Anthology Volume 2. It was in ancillary products, including Battle Royale, Box Set, and the Dual Decks Phyrexia versus the Coalition. But the Judge promo has a bunch of things going for it. It's using the original iconic art. No better art has been printed yet, because there's only two, and the other one's very whatever. Um, and it uses old border foiling. So old border mm-hmm. judge foils are going to be hard to go wrong. It's also not going to catch uh, old border foil treatment in Tempest Remastered. I mean, uh, Time Spiral Remastered, because that only applies to cards who haven't had old border treatment before. So yeah. I, I would imagine a, a secret layer is probably the next place you'll see something like this. And I don't think that's going to impact the judge promo at all. Uh, yeah, I mean, my, my concern would be if, yeah, if not secret layer, then some other promotional printing of it, but I don't think I, I care. Like it's Mm -hmm. still, this is still the old border foil copy and that's what I want. And and that's what anyone who's after this is going to want. And the lowest price here is 50 bucks on TCG player. And there's a total of five, seven, nine copies listed between 50 and 65 and our, our man on the ground in Europe, I'm sure, has scooped up some of these at, say, 25 or something leaning into this. But I don't think that matters. Um, the pick is still totally solid. Judge Hoyles have made us money time after time. Yeah, this is, uh, and it's a cool card, too. Um, I really like it. It's got, honestly, good art. Uh, it's a cool card. Good classic like art, yeah. Yeah, I like the pick. Good job. All right, so he gets a $25 gift certificate from Cool Stuff, Inc., which I'm sure he will have lots of fun negotiating how to spend seeing as how he's in Europe and he'll probably end up trading that to somebody else. And it'll be a whole nother round of MTG finance all on its own. If you're, if you're, uh, if you're in the discord, you get opportunities to buy uh, CSI credit on the cheap from international part, international uh, pick of the week winners. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. 
somebody was selling, I think, Card Kingdom gift certificates or something, like basically running their arbitrage game into Card Kingdom's buy list and then getting cash out of it by trading the credit coupons to other people for a percentage. Hmm. Those crafty Europeans. Yeah. Um, all right. So Collector's Corner this week is about the Brain Dead times Magic the Gathering uh, collaboration, fashion collaboration. Brain Dead is a hipster brand located on the mm-hmm. west coast of the u.s if i understand that correctly and apparently so, uh, bd the co-founder uh sorry co-founder kyle ing uh is a fan of the game since childhood and so somehow this all came together and a bunch of what i view as relatively cool clothing and accessories not all of it is stuff i would actually be caught dead wearing but i appreciate that it exists and there's a couple pieces here that i think i would be willing to rock Thing is, they're all sold out. If I, I'm going to take an issue with your definition of it as hipster, but uh, overall, I agree. This is it's very much a, a high fashion brand. You know, um, for people who are familiar, it's sort of it's a supreme. I don't style. know about high fashion, but sure. Well, street street fashion. street fashion. Sorry, street fashion. It's a supreme type product, and yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. I I'm not a fan of street fashion, um, especially stuff quite as uh extreme as this in its it, it leans pretty hard into that aesthetic but that's fine i don't mind and it certainly appeals appeals to a younger crowd for sure um you know people of my age that are 35 are probably not really too eager to buy this stuff unless they are trying to be cooler than they are but it will definitely land with the mid-20 crowd i mean i'm over 40 and i would the first long sleeve i would rock that the black one the aesthetic here is very 90s, like early 90s, 92, 93. Um, and it's simple on the back. It's just plain black. On the front, it's got a, a relatively cool-looking Phyrexian graphic. And it says, the decks are sealed, and unless you're good, so is your fate. Which is just over the top enough to <laughs> be fine by me. <laughs> and uh, I'm not a huge fan of the 90s aesthetic, because I lived through it. And I'm certainly not going to wear a pantsuit that it's covered in magic cards, but I could see Gavin Verhey being very excited about it. Yeah. Uh, I think the Cabal Therapy tote bag is probably the coolest shit here. Uh, yeah, but did you happen to catch the artist on that? Oh, no. Who are we dealing with here? Yeah. No, it's not that. Oh. That is Ron Spencer, my man. Oh. What, what's the, what's <laughs> Ron Spencer's story? Uh... uh... <laughs> Oh, that's right. Last time I complained about Phil Foglio. Ron Spencer is the other awful artist that I hate. <laughs> oh, actually, like I like the Cabal Therapy art. Um, yeah, it's Phil Foglio and Ron Spencer are my two least favorite artists. Oh, so you're not it's, you're not uh, getting the tote bag uh, on the no. secondary market on eBay, is what you're telling me? No, I was I was considering it. I had my six hundred dollars lined up, and I was like, wait a minute, that's Ron Spencer. I, this really isn't supreme class stuff because this isn't like six thousand dollar jackets or whatever. This is like the well, I think the top end here is about three fifty, and some of this stuff was in in the mid forties or whatever. Well, when I when I talk about supreme, I'm talking about the aesthetic more than the. Well, Supreme's aesthetic is just to go to the hardware store and and buy a hammer and then put the Supreme sticker on it and <laughs> call it sure. three hundred. We're it's, good. The life's the the lifestyle. Fa- the fashion lifestyle that Supreme is part of. About that. Ish. Anyway, check this out at wearebraindead.com slash collections slash 
brain dash dead dash x dash magic the gathering with a bunch of dashes you'll figure it out yeah sure just google it google it you'll find it how how you get there the uh, The, the brain dead collab the interesting thing here is that this is wizards stepping outside of their normal uh range for branding um you know they've done a couple pieces of branded stuff before but nothing quite so exotic um which is nice to see, I suppose. Uh, I'm glad that you know they're doing a little more with it. Uh, I, I, I I'm curious whether there is someone behind the scenes that was recently hired in the last like two years that has been empowered to do some cool projects because things like The Walking Dead and Metal Art Secret Layers and collabs with We Are Brain Dead and the Netflix Chandra Show being handled by the producers of the Avengers, etc. That's putting effort in. Yeah, Start, starting to move in the right direction. Doesn't mean everything's yeah. going to be a hit, but th- there's some cool stuff going on. As much as we've given Watsy shit this year, and lot and the players even more so than us, the uh, there is some cool stuff happening with this brand. There is, and I think, and you know, there's definitely room for Magic to do a lot of branding tie-ins that it feels like they haven't leaned into entirely. And where they have leaned, where they have picked up their branding, it doesn't feel like they've strayed very far outside of a specific, um, a very narrow type of branding. So this clothing is probably this clothing and the um, the death card secret layer are. I feel like the furthest they've gotten from the traditional magic branding aesthetic. Um, and it seems like there's opportunity for them to push it a lot further. So I'm picturing clothing that essentially you wouldn't know was Magic the Gathering unless you played Magic. So it's a normal looking, normal looking clothing for people who don't play Magic, and but for the initiated, they can recognize it uh, more esoteric, more eccentric, more um, stylized. I think there's there's a lot of availability. A lot of options for stuff like that. And not just in clothing, too. In in all sorts of various fashions. And, um, you know, one thing I was thinking about that, that intersected a conversation completely unrelated I was having recently is you haven't seen a lot of magic branding in other properties. So imagine, like... I mean, it wouldn't happen here, because, but, like, in League of Legends having like planeswalker skins you know something to that effect you haven't really seen much of that either um and it seems like there's a lot of opportunity for wizards to push their brand into other spaces that they haven't capitalized on i think the thing that really opens doors for collaborations is two things longevity but you also want to have a hot cultural property that is an extension of your ip and the most likely manifestation of that in the near future is if they get this chandra show actually launched and it's good because if you can launch a good magic anime on netflix that there's a lot of tangential benefit there because you might end up having somebody drag friends and family in to watch it you know, if you could launch something like that over the, over the holidays during COVID, 
mm-hmm. when you've got a even higher than usual percentage uh, chance of getting your new thing viewed. <laughs> like people are running out of stuff to watch on Netflix all the time, especially this year. So if you have anything half decent, you can get some serious traction if you can get it out. Mm-hmm. But we haven't heard anything about it lately. So who knows where they, where they actually are in the production cycle. I, I forgot they were even doing that, honestly. Like, the, there's been so many comings and goings of, of Wizards and media that, like, I just don't even chalk them up to being real at this point. Yeah, fair enough. All right, well, that uh, should be a wrap. Where can people find you online, Travis? Oh, as always, I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, how about yourself? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles, mtgprice.com, and my constant haunting of the Pro Trader Discord. also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, access to our super productive group buys and our super active discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing magic the gathering i also like to point out that we finally got headshots live for our newer writers including uh david Sharman, who now finally has a headshot on our homepage, and uh ellie of the veil who was uh elizabeth rice that uh came and talked to us about a month ago uh, she's got her first article for MTG Price up live as well as part of our Fresh Voices series, series, and that's a, a relatively solid uh, takedown and pass around analysis of MTG Finance as a whole uh, that aims to establish some guidelines for interacting with MTG Finance from the outside, uh, for uh, filtering the information you get from within MTG Finance to meet your needs, and you know. Spend the least amount of time to get the most out of it. So definitely worth a read over on mgprice.com. Yeah, she puts out some good stuff. Um, I haven't gotten a chance to make to read that, but I did see that she posted it, and I've been meaning to read that. Uh, so hopefully I can steal a couple minutes this week to get in front of that. Oh, new dad um, life. Yeah, yeah, no kidding, man. We hit that four-month sleep regression about a week ago. <laughs> and whew, it has been rough. It has been rough. And then on top of that, we've had him at home because of uh, we're both working from home, so we haven't been taking him to the sitters, but it means that we're juggling him during the day oh, at work. Yeah. And I work in the healthcare industry, and it's kind of on fire with COVID, so I always just a million things going on. Um, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly, proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool and nerdy stuff stuff in stock including the best in magic gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles use the promo code finance5 during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save five percent off your order and support this podcast probably a good week to make use of that promo code with holiday shopping you want to get that in early um shipping times this winter are probably not going to be the greatest nah. so get in front of that now if you can um and that brings us to the end of episode 249. So pushing the end of, uh, God, that would be five years, right? No, 50, no, no, no. Five? At, 50, at 52 episodes a year. And we're 260. almost... 260. Yeah, 260 will be five 260 years. 260 will be five years. Wow. So, wow, 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 wow. Time flies, <laughs> my friend. I get, my daughter's yeah. four. I guess that's right. Crazy. Um, yeah. Incredible. 
The, yeah, we're, we're not there yet. Two weeks from <laughs> two weeks from today, we'll probably have our year-end wrap-up as well, where we'll go over all of our specs of the year, our 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 hits and our misses. <laughs> misses are going to be probably a lot of pioneer specs that never got a chance for anybody to play. Uh, hits will going to be my excuse. Hits will be a lot of. Uh, commander related stuff that did much better than expected during covid uh, that's yeah. the, the episode in a nutshell if you can't make it thank you travis and uh, we'll see all of you next week on another episode of mtg fast finance <laughs>